Hello there, my beautiful authentic seekers, and welcome back to Divine Authenticity. I'm your host, Chloe Taylor. And oh my goodness, it is a beautiful Pacific Northwest day. I feel like we need merch that just says that. I feel like I say it too many times. And I feel like every day in the Pacific Northwest is a beautiful Pacific Northwest day because if the sun's out, it's like a miracle because we get so many cloudy days here. And if it's cloudy, and at least like, I feel like in the dead of winter, I don't always feel so great about the clouds because when it's too long, I've told y'all that I sometimes struggle with seasonal depression. Uh, when we go with like long extended periods of clouds every single day, that starts to wear on me and I don't feel like it's such a beautiful Pacific Northwest day, but I feel like when we've had a lot of sunny days to wake up to a beautiful cloudy day on the harbor is just such a treat. So today it's cloudy. I have my pumpkin clove candle burning. Uh, I know it's not fall yet. And honestly, I've been thinking about that concept a lot lately, how, and I know all of us feel it, you know, the grocery not the grocery stores, but like the uh, big box stores, Target, um, Walmart places that maybe you might shop. I mean, even not even those places, like even like furniture stores, the grocery store too, actually, it's like they start pushing the next season, two months before that season is even coming. And don't get me wrong. Y'all know I am a fall girly, like fall. Some people are summer girlies. Some people are winter girlies. I don't really know too many spring girlies. I feel like maybe those are the cottage core people. And then there's the fall girlies, the autumn girlies, the witch bitch thought season queens. And I'm definitely a witch bitch thought season. I'm here for spooky season. That is my favorite season of all time. I always say that I would like to live in the eternal autumn. Um, I actually, fun fact, this podcast, Divine Authenticity, it was almost called Life Through Autumn Colored Glasses instead of like rose colored glasses, because I just thought that was such a beautiful take on how I like to look at the world. I'm always looking for fall. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being obsessed with a season. I think, you know, you love what you love and you should continue to love it. But I do feel like when it comes to consumerism, we're always pushed. Like it's even like, when, okay, for example, when it's Halloween time and you go to the store they're already pushing Christmas when Halloween has like barely started, right? It hasn't even happened yet. And they're already pushing Christmas. And I just feel like that is a way, I don't know if it's like anti-consumer, I'm not really sure, but I feel like I really want to push against that this year. As much as I love fall, as much as I love autumn, as much as I can't wait to get into the season. I mean, shoot, I'm sure you heard the intro we're playing around with. Like, I get that I am like the eternal autumn person, but I feel like I really want to like relish in these last few weeks of summer because here's the thing. Once September hits, that to me means that it's fall, even though it, I know it's not. And the first day of fall doesn't even happen. At least if you're in my hemisphere, the first day of fall doesn't even happen until September 21st, 22nd, somewhere in there. To me, this is how it goes in my mind. This is how I would celebrate and honor the seasons. Summer, is, or excuse me, autumn is September, October, November. 
And then December, January, February is really the Christmas holiday spirit. I know that like December is peak Christmas. I don't even celebrate Christmas. I celebrate Yuletide, but I feel like for the sake of simplicity, we're just going to call it Christmas. Um, I know that's probably like sacrilegious to lots of people, but I don't care. That's, that's what I call it in my house. It's still Christmas, even if I don't celebrate Christ. Um, so December I know is like peak Christmas. And then most people on like the first will take their trees down and they're just like, ah, like, you know, it's, it's like the dead sad winter now. And I propose that this year, Chloe Taylor, when we get to winter to the winter season, I'm going to leave my tree up until March this year because it's going to be a fake tree. And so I have the power to do that. But to me, it goes December, January, February. Those are like the true winter months. Then uh, March, April, May, that is like true spring. June, July, August, that is true summer. So I know that there's overlap there. And technically, if you're going by the dates, they're not, that's not even perfect. It's really like, uh, <clears throat> it's really July, August, September would be summer. And then October, November, December is technically fall. And then winter doesn't even really start until like the last few days of December. But I do still enjoy like having the holiday cheer for the whole month of December. I do still really enjoy having autumn in September. So I feel like for me, that's kind of how I would divide it up. But to me, the point I'm trying to make, it doesn't really matter what time of year you're into it because, you know, some of y'all don't even have the seasons like that. Your seasons are flipped from what my seasons are like. So I feel like to me, it's not even necessarily about that. It's celebrating giving every season ample time and not just like trying to rush to the next season. That's the shit that gets on my nerves is I feel like because of consumerism, we're always rushing to get to the next season. And on that same note, something I've been really practicing lately is not talking about life in a way that I don't want it to be like. So for example, you know how people will say things and you might even say things like this. I know I have been guilty of this myself where you'll say like, oh, you blink and life goes so fast or, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's already about to be August or, you know, now we're in August, but I can't believe it's already August. Where did the year go? Oh my gosh, I can't believe we only have one more month of summer left. Oh my gosh, like it's about to be fall and then we're going to be in the new year and like life just seems to move faster and faster the older you get. I propose a new way of thinking. I feel like let's just stop perpetuating that idea because I really do feel even from like a universal consciousness level when you start to identify with similar beliefs as other people, you will perpetuate that being true. You will vibrate with people that also live that way, that live in a very like fast paced, or it feels like their life is always passing them by. And if you're here for a long time and you don't want to feel like you're always missing out because life is moving too quickly, you have to start perpetuating and speaking about life like it doesn't work like that. And maybe for you, your manifesting method is going to be a little bit different. For me, I've always noticed that speaking is really valuable to me. Uh, I've just, I feel like when I speak, like things happen when I, this is why like for me, affirmation works so well, 
But for you, it might be more of like a meditative thing or writing something down, scripting it out into being. But for me, I notice how I speak and think about my life. And I feel like this really across the board is something that could apply to everyone because we all have a way of thinking about life. We all have a way of thinking, even when it comes to like our self-concept, we all have a way of thinking that our life is going. And it's honestly, a lot of the times why we feel like shame or pain or embarrassment is because we have identity stories attached to certain instances. And when those things start to happen, we suddenly think it means something about us. And I'm starting to veer off what I'm trying to talk about. So I'm going to reel it back in. But my point to bringing this up is if you don't want your life to keep passing you by and feeling like it's moving so fast, you have to be the person to stop talking about it like that. You have to be the person to stop thinking that way and start being more intentional about how you speak, talk, and think about your day-to-day life. Because for me personally, I don't know about you, and I'm not going to speak for you, but for me personally... I don't want to wake up on my deathbed and be devastated and feel like my life just moved so fast, like I didn't pay attention to any of it, and that I wasn't intentional. I think I would regret that. And so I've started telling myself, actually, life moves really slow. Actually, you know, the months, they take so much time. I feel like there's so much time in the summer. I feel like there's so much time in the... um, I have so much time. I have so much time available to me. I can always take my time. And as a chronic, recovered chronic people pleaser, and as somebody that I've always kind of dedicated my time to worrying about micromanaging everything else around me, trauma response, (laughs) as, as I've like recovered from that, I've realized that there actually is a lot of time when you're not filling your time, always worrying about pleasing somebody else, always worrying about what the future holds instead of trying to actively participate in it. It really does slow time down. And I know that maybe for some of y'all that doesn't make sense. You're like, no, we all still have the same amount of hours and minutes and seconds in a day as everybody else. And I promise No, like, yes, but no, I think we've also all accepted this idea that time is linear. And I don't actually think it is. I feel that time, like, I think one of the best experiences I've ever had in thinking about time and slowing it down is when I did a, this sounds so scary, but it's technically what it's called. Um, When I did a deprivation tank. So it's technically like the bougie name for it is going to a float spa, but it's technically a sensory deprivation tank. And I know sounds terrifying. It was actually a really cool experience. I would absolutely do it again. I almost feel like every time, if you're not somebody that's done that before, and I'll explain to you what it is if you never heard about this, but if you've never done it before, I recommend doing two because the first time is really like a fact finding mission, especially if you're kind of nervous about it. The second time you'll already know what you're in for and it will be a much better experience. So uh, sensory deprivation or a float spa, it's where you go and there's basically like a tank filled with this like super high density salt water, or maybe it's low density. I'm not really sure. I'm not a scientist. I don't know how it all works. They explain it to you. But basically... This spa is something that you can't not float. Like because there is so much salt solution in the water, 
it forces your body to be like buoyant and you have to float. Like literally, if you try to put your legs straight out and like sink it, it tries to float itself. It's really weird. But you basically go into this tank and you're not underwater fully submerged. You're floating on the surface of it. You can choose to leave the tank door open or close it. Um, I want to say I actually closed mine, surprisingly. I didn't think I would, but it was actually calmer with it closed. And there's lights in there. There's soft music. It's actually kind of cool. If you've ever seen Minority Report, the movie with Tom Cruise, it kind of reminds me of the oracles or whatever they're called. They're like the people that can see the murders in that movie that are like in this tank all hooked up to seeing these like psychic visions. It kind of reminds me of that. I know that's a terrible way of explaining that. That sounds so scary. Uh, I promise it's really not scary, especially after the first time. It's, it's really cool and really calming. It's a calming thing. Um, it might not be for everybody though. Maybe your nervous system's not into that, but for me, it was a really calming experience. And the thing is you don't realize how long an hour really is because you're in there for usually 45 minutes to an hour is a typical booking. And when you're in there for an hour, I swear to you, I felt like I was in there for like eight hours. It felt so long. And ultimately it's because you're, you have nothing like you can't be on your phone. You can't be reading emails. You can't be talking to anyone. You can technically turn the lights off and the music off and just be in the dark. I didn't like that idea for myself personally. I'm a little scared of the dark, but you don't have any stimuli. You can't really even feel the water on your skin because of the way, like, it's hard to explain if you've never done it, but like you almost can't even feel the water because of how they've made it be. So like you feel like you're just floating in nothing. And so the idea is though, is that you don't have anything like hitting your senses. So you're not being flooded with anything and you realize how long an hour can really be like an hour feels like forever when you are not receiving stimuli. That's kind of the whole point. And I feel like that really shifted my perspective about time because I was like, Oh, I felt like I was literally in there for eight hours. Like just with my thoughts, nothing else. All I could do was think because you can't really turn that off unless you sit there and try to like meditate, which would probably be really awesome. But ultimately I don't believe that time is linear. I think that we have all decided collectively consciously or unconsciously that time works in a linear fashion. And so we're all always rushing through the day. And I'm not saying that you don't have a really busy life, a really busy schedule. And maybe you're somebody that feels like you can't make a lot of time. But what I will offer to that is time is our most valuable asset. Literally, it is the one thing that you cannot replenish. You cannot get time back. So it is worth trying to really honor that. And so my whole point to even bringing all of this up is that I feel like in today's world, we're so conditioned to say that life is too fast. It moves too quickly. All of us feel like the years start to pass faster and faster. And I would just like to offer a different approach. I would just like to offer this idea that maybe it can be slower. Maybe we can be more intentional about it. Maybe it can be softer. Maybe we can let, I think there's a song that actually is like going around right now. That's popular. That says like, 
Let July just be July. Let August just be August. Let September just be September. Stop trying to race towards some kind of finish line. And I don't know, it's just really given me a new perspective on trying to slow down and calm down. <laughs> I feel like as somebody that deals with, I feel like I've gone through periods of time where I have been completely anxiety free. And I've talked about it on the podcast when times like that have happened. But I feel like minus those pockets of time where I've experienced that, I deal with such a dysregulated nervous system on the regular. And I'm just really focused on healing that right now. I'm really focused on what is in front of me, what I'm doing, how I'm allocating my time, and not really making room for much else. And it's been a really awesome turn of events. And I feel like I want to like, this is like the main point of the episode today is we're going to talk about like people pleasing and where, where I think that you can actually change that. So let's go ahead and hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So today's topic actually comes from a response that I got on Spotify from one of y'all. This one actually comes from Lindsay Law. So Lindsay Law, thank you so much for uh, publishing this. This is why when I ask y'all to interact with the episodes, if whether you're on Apple or Spotify, there's also like a review place on Apple, but on Spotify, I always have a Q&A section where I can ask you what you thought about the episode and I read through every single one of these responses. So thank you so much to those of you that choose to interact. I appreciate you. But Lindsay Law said, how do you avoid people pleasing tendencies with your podcast and on your socials? I find this extremely difficult to do because I feel like social media promotes and prolif proliferates people pleasing. So I love this question mostly because I feel extremely qualified to answer it <laughs> uh, as somebody that, you know, has dealt with people pleasing. And I think the reason I feel like this also ties in so nicely with what I was talking about is previously, before I started implementing, like being slower, being softer, taking my time, I was a like, I feel like if people pleasing could have an advanced mode, I was like advanced people pleaser. And I feel like truly an advanced people pleaser is just a perfectionist. And I would struggle really, 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 really badly with perfectionism. And I say that because down to the point that like, I'm still in recovery to a degree, like even like, perfectionism to the point that it like bleeds into having an anxiety disorder because I feel like 
I am such an extreme perfectionist sometimes, and I'm recovering from that, that I will feel like I'm not even allowed to leave my house and like be in a grocery store. I will think that I am being observed or that people are ready to criticize me or, and ultimately what I've discovered is the only reason I feel that level of uncomfortability is because I was so highly, highly, highly criticized growing up. And honestly, even when I think about it, my mother, honestly, biggest criticizer I've ever met. And I can see that I can see that she herself was probably very criticized from her own mother. And I feel like she has trickled that down. And it's really interesting too, because in my family, I feel that all of the kids, I'm the youngest of seven, have been criticized a lot. But the difference is that my mother and I were like thick as thieves, thick as thieves growing up. And we were just very, very, very close until probably around like, honestly, into my early 20s, we were pretty tight. And she not only was just so hypercritical of everyone and everything around her. So I would pick that up and think that this must be how everybody behaves. Everybody must be this critical. So I should really make sure that I'm perfect so I can avoid this level of judgment. And I've noticed that as an adult, it's really kind of set me back. It's set me back in the sense that I feel like I'm not even allowed to exist. I'm not allowed to, and like pull that up pull that up with like a thick layer of religious shame where like showing a shoulder is considered a sin. Cause if you didn't know, I grew up Mormon for the first 18 years of my life. Uh, showing a shoulder is like considered a sin almost and, you know, drinking or doing, uh, smoking or anything like that was also considered very sinful. Masturbation was considered very sinful. Having any kind of sexual tendency when you're going through that, uh, puberty stage was very sinful. So, it's like I was getting critical, critical information about myself across the board, no matter where I turned. And um, I think that number one, it turned me into somebody that was hypercritical of everyone and everything and really judgmental. And I promise this ties in with this ties in with people pleasing. So just let me get there. So um, this is something I still struggle with. I still very much like recently, if, if any of y'all are on my Patreon, I just released a 45 minute daily, or it was like a three days in my life vlog, 45 minutes long. Uh, I took myself on an artist date. This is like, it, which is something that's really hard for me because I I'm so afraid of criticism that I literally won't even let myself exist in the world. And there's more than just that. It's not just criticism. It's also like a really insane, intense fear of men, which that totally comes from my dad and how insane his temper is and how abusive he was growing up. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot tied into that. We don't, I'm not here to unpack all of that today, <laughs> but my point to it, bringing it up though, is that I talked about this in my vlog how like, you know, this is how we get better is by going out into the world by ourselves. This is how, you know, it, it's hard and it's scary at first when you don't feel like you're regulated in your nervous system, when you have a high level of feeling like you need to be perfect accompanied with this intense fear of the outside world. It just, it, it really 
kind of destroys your personhood, to be honest. That's, that's how I feel about it. It really just kind of destroys your ability to feel like a person, like you're allowed to exist like everybody else. And when it comes to people pleasing, to me, this falls right in line with it. It falls right in line with the perfectionism. I wouldn't say that it has a lot to do with like fear of the outside world. Actually, no, I think it kind of does because if you're so afraid of criticism, there's a lot of things you won't do. There's a lot of things you won't become. There's things you won't say. There's things that will make you feel so deeply ashamed that I feel like perfectionism and people pleasing really just go hand in hand because we're afraid to be criticized. We're afraid to have a desire. We're afraid to exist in any capacity that might be us being quote unquote too much. And for me, I really think this stemmed from an early childhood of being criticized all the time. It was like, I couldn't win growing up in my household. And unfortunately, because I saw how other family members of mine were treated when they didn't just follow the strict authoritarian parenting style that was given to me, I chose to really conform. I chose to just kind of be quiet and be quote unquote, like really good and do the things that my parents asked me to do because it was easier. It was easier to do what they asked. Actually, I mean, it really wasn't easy but it felt easier. It was, it was an avoidance of a pain of a kind. And the reason I, I take it back so far and I don't just say like, Oh, I'm, I'm a people pleasing adult is that doesn't exist. There is no adult on the face of the planet. That's a people pleaser that gained that in adulthood. In my experience, most people experience this somewhere else in their life, because even if like an abusive partner really push them into this, they wouldn't have even accepted the partner to begin with if there wasn't already an unworthiness or something where they felt like this was the kind of person they deserve to be with, if that makes sense. Like to me, there is no full grown adult that is a people pleaser that deals with intense shame or fear of criticism that has just accumulated this in adult life. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I shouldn't say it never happens. I think that that would be an extreme But to me, most of it comes from early childhood, early adolescence. And anyways, Lindsay, your question was, how do you avoid people pleasing tendencies on my podcast and on social media? And I feel like the only thing that I can really say to this is you have to decide to be vulnerable because that's really what it is. People pleasing is the fear of vulnerability. It's a, you're afraid to be vulnerable with yourself or with other people. And it might be because your vulnerability was never safe. Being vulnerable with a parent maybe wasn't safe and, or with a school teacher or with friends or maybe with a partner, vulnerability wasn't safe and it was never made safe for you. And so now whenever you have a vulnerable moment, it feels terrifying. It feels really scary to be that vulnerable. And the first thing I want to say is that doing it, it gets easier. It gets easier over time. There are still moments now in my life, especially whenever I do podcast episodes where I do video too. That's like an exercise for me because I don't 
enjoy that. I carry such deep, intense shame around the way that I look, around the way I present myself, around the way that I speak, even though I know probably you listening would never know that because I'm so particular. Like there are so many podcast episodes that I have recorded that I have just outright deleted multiple, 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 because I will listen to them back and be hypercritical of myself and be like, Nope, we can't put that one out. That's, that's a little too much, Chloe. And I find that often my most vulnerable episodes end up being the ones that are the most popular and they're the ones that people need to hear the most. So I think that when it comes to not people pleasing online, you have to be willing to be vulnerable and it's, it's hard. It's hard if you've never felt safe in your vulnerability and it does feel unsafe to be vulnerable. I mean, even if we go back to the way that our brains thought ancestrally, right? If you were vulnerable and you were exiled by your tribe, you were basically sentenced to death. So it makes sense that we would be scared to be vulnerable because sometimes if that vulnerability was unaccepted, it would literally mean death. It would mean that we were going to starve and we would just die without our community, our home and our living ecosystems really. So it makes sense that vulnerability would feel that scary regardless is if we feel like we're not accepted with our vulnerability, it hurts. And I would just say that when it comes to recovering from people pleasing online, number one, you have to let yourself be vulnerable. And if you can't do it in an online capacity, you have to start letting it happen with people that are closest to you. And if you find that you're in constant connection with a lot of people that can't support that, you need to find new people. That's always going to be my number one recommendation because I know it's easier said than done. Maybe not for all of you, but I know it's easier said than done, but I attribute most of my success and my ability to not continue a lot of the cycles that were given to me. I attribute so much of me being that cycle breaker to moving completely away from my family, not speaking to most of them for many years and just doing the work, reading the self-help books, writing in my journal all the time, sometimes for like two hours a day just putting all of my attention and focus on myself, getting a therapist when I needed help like that and really focusing on me and deciding, even if it felt scary to be vulnerable, to be myself, I was going to do it. And if there was anybody in my life that couldn't hold that, I was going to give them less of my time and attention. And this even happens today. Still, still, I have family members that I speak to all the time because they're able to hold the capacity of my vulnerability and vice versa. I can hold it too, but I have other family members right in my immediate family that when you say something vulnerable, they accuse you of being sensitive or they immediately turn around and will go, Oh, but, but I can handle anything. It's okay. I can handle anything instead of saying, you know what? Life's really hard right now. This situation's really hard and I could just really use some support. That is being vulnerable. And I feel like it is something that is learned. And it's unfortunate when you have to teach yourself, when nobody else mirrored it to you first. But 
you have to start putting space between you and people that perpetuate your vulnerability, not being safe. That's like the number one. And so if it is friends, you need to find yourself some new friends. I actually always recommend like, listen to last week's episode. You really got to become your best friend, your own best friend first and go from there. Uh, then you can start to kind of integrate into finding more friends. Once you learn more about yourself, sometimes I do think that, you know, I, I don't like that phrase. How can you love someone when you don't know how to love yourself? Because sometimes the way that people love us teaches us how we deserve to be loved. And we're able to actually start to create that in our life. So I don't think it's that you have to love yourself before you can ever love anyone else. But something I will say is when you start to actually be more vulnerable, be yourself, put the, put the people pleasing on the back burner and actually take care of yourself, be vulnerable with you, become your own best friend. When you start to do all of that work, it makes finding aligned friendships easier. It makes like when you make a true genuine connection, you are going to notice all the green flags. And that's something I feel like we could talk about that in another episode, like friendship, red flags and green flags, because I have had my fair share of experiences in that department. In my adult life, I have ended three serious friendships and every single time I can see where I wasn't seeing the red flags on both sides of the spectrum. I can see where I was being a red flag and I wasn't being better. And I can see where the other person had a lot of red flags and where I wasn't seeing them because I didn't value myself enough. I didn't value my own healing, my own vulnerability enough to see that this was not okay. So ultimately when putting yourself out there on a podcast or on your socials, I find that it depends because on one hand, if you're actually being yourself, you're putting your face out there and people have the possibility to recognize you. That is scary, right? And I wouldn't recommend even doing that. I would recommend starting a lot smaller. I would recommend finding your own support group before that, because if you're going to put yourself out there like that, you need that support to really hold you accountable and to also be there to remind you why what you're doing is so awesome. But if you're not showing your face, maybe it's just a voice. Maybe you're just writing things and putting like screen caps out or something. Or if when you're podcasting, right, it's just your voice. I feel like you can really start that at any time. But ultimately, you also have to remember that your story is your story. And this is something that... I feel like I have a lot to say about because I have struggled with this specifically. So many of my long-term listeners know that my relationship with my mom is not great. It's not horrible. It's not as bad as it was even two years ago. It's definitely better. I think I've matured a lot and I think I have changed my perspective on things a lot, but I come from a place of believing that my mother either is a narcissist full blown or has at least narcissistic tendencies. And with having that, it makes my relationship with her complicated because 
where most people will let her just be critical and judgmental and say things that are really inappropriate or have really inappropriate relationships. Meaning like, you know, if both of my parents, I feel like are actually guilty of this one. If like they have a problem with somebody in the family, they will go to every other person and try to ask about that person instead of going directly to that person. So like things like that, there's just a lot of behavior and I'm not going to lie. I fall into that camp sometimes too, because it's what I learned. And I have to actively remind myself like, no, Chloe, if you have a problem with somebody in the family, you need to go directly to that person. But there's just a lot of like really immature, immature, weird, behind back, like shameful to me behavior. It's just like, I wouldn't even say shameful. It's like, it lacks vulnerability. It lacks vulnerability. It lacks authenticity. It, it's kind of everything that I don't stand for. <laughs> and I feel like because I had that polarizing, uh, upbringing, I am just such a, you know how they always say that? Like it's, it's always like, which part of you do you feed? You can, I obviously I can decide to be just as toxic as I was raised to be, or I can decide to heal and be better. And I feel like I have built an entire lifestyle, an entire brand around authenticity because I was always conditioned to believe that the authentic self should be hidden and you shouldn't have full expression of yourself, you know? especially growing up Mormon, like you dyeing your hair, piercings, tattoos. I mean, I don't even have tattoos, but um, I'm not against them. Anything that kind of took you out of this little perfect box or perfect idea of what a quote unquote family should be. It, it basically was just unheard of. There's so much like enmeshment that's practiced in Mormon culture as well, where when one person in the family has a belief, the whole family has to believe it. And there's just so much toxicity riddled in there. But I feel like when it comes to the people pleasing and all of that, I feel like honestly, I, I really have to hand and especially like being vulnerable online, like you've asked about, I used to really protect my mom specifically. I would never, my mom and my dad, but my mom in particular, she had trained me so well to not speak negatively to her. She had made it such a shameful thing or like about her because she herself is so afraid to be vulnerable and to be criticized. But yet she is very, very, very critical and judgmental. She has made it almost impossible to say anything to her. Even if it's like you want to put a boundary up, she will find every reason why that boundary is inappropriate and why you're ridiculous and too sensitive. And you know, the list goes on and on and on and on. There's really no winning. There's no winning in a conversation with her. The gray rock method really is the best, but again, that's narcissism for you. There's no, there's, they have such an allergy to shame. And so uh, that's why I've made it such my mission to, honestly look into shame, why I feel shameful in situations and to actually sit with shame, sit with vulnerability, sit with uncomfortability. It's because I was taught every single way to avoid it. And honestly, I also feel like I look at the life of people that live that way and I don't want a life like that. And so it also kind of pushes me to be different. And Anyways, I'm getting off track. Sorry. ADHD brain, <laughs> the ADHD girlies know, but <clears throat> with putting yourself out there online, 
I would always protect my mom. I would always protect like our story. I was so ashamed to open my mouth and talk about the truth because a narcissist will sit and convince you that the way you explain the way that you lived something was not the way that it was intended. Or, you know, a narcissist has every excuse in the book. They have every excuse in the book why it didn't happen the way you said it did. And they also know how to avoid blame for anything. They don't take accountability for anything. And for years, like, honestly, probably the first like five or six years of my career, I would get so scared anytime I would post something where I talked about my mom or talked about not being Mormon or talked about like anything that had to do with my authentic self and who I actually am, I would feel so much shame anytime I wanted to dip a toe out of that and be really open online. And ultimately I just had to deconstruct that. I had to ask myself, what's the worst that could happen? And actually think about it. What is the worst that could happen? If I sit here and I talk about on my podcast, what a narcissist my mom is, how that's made our relationship really fucking difficult, how I would love to have a normal quote unquote relationship with my mother, but she literally makes it impossible, literally impossible. Um, I, you know, and anybody that deals with a narcissist, you know, you know, and any of you that haven't dealt with that, you might not know, but like it never comes without trying. Like I have literally tried every way till fucking Sunday to help my mom understand. I've tried to love her where she is. I've tried to have multiple, multiple, multiple conversations for the last decade. Anybody who's dealt with a narcissist, you know, they literally cannot see it because they are allergic to shame. They think that shame will shatter them. And So I would protect her because I was scared. I was so scared. So I had to deconstruct this. And what I found was there was really nothing she could do to me. Absolutely nothing. Sure, she could talk about me behind my back. She could say things to other family members about me. She could dissect why I might think and feel some type of way. She could play the victim and pretend that she doesn't understand why I'm saying the things that I am, even though... I have gone to her so many times to have the conversation. She just doesn't listen or doesn't refuses to take the accountability, refuses to take accountability, refuses to take the blame. And even if she sat and listened to this podcast of mine today, she would still find ways to not take accountability. And like, again, that's just how the narcissistic mind works. So like they immediately are on the defensive. They can't understand what they have done wrong because to them, they're allergic to shame. They don't know how to process those deep, vulnerable feelings. And ultimately it's really sad because narcissists aren't just born, they're made. And what that says to me is, man, she must've endured a lot of abuse in her childhood because to be, to become a narcissist, that's really what you have to experience is being so to me, honestly, shamed just for being yourself that you kind of become this person that has to protect yourself at all costs. So I would constantly not share, or I would cut things out of episodes, or I would cut things out of my podcast, or I would, I wouldn't be the full authentic version of myself. I wouldn't show up and be so vulnerable, be so open. And when I started to dissect that number one, there was nothing she could really do, do about it. 
Like there was nothing, nothing she could really do about it. She could make her own podcast and decide to speak on the opposing side. She could write a book maybe and speak on things on the opposing side. She could like, I could think of a, tons of things that she could do. But the thing is at the end of the day, my story is still my story. Even if my mother, and I'm giving her this example specifically because I feel like this is what kept me for so many years from not like basically it kept me from being as vulnerable and transparent as I am was this relationship. It kept me being a people pleaser. And once I really removed those shackles, I was like, Oh, even if for some reason my mother decided to come for me and make her own platform, which I genuinely don't think she would ever do. Uh, but even if she did, my story is still my story at the end of the day no matter what, it would be her word against mine. And not in like a malevolent way, malevolent way. It would be her story against mine in the sense that both truths can be true. My mom can experience life the way that she does. And the things that she does, even if she doesn't intend for them to be hurtful, she doesn't get to decide how she is received. The same way that when I do something that's shitty, if it's shitty, I don't get to decide how that's perceived by someone else. It means that I was shitty and I hope that the person that feels like I was being shitty would come to me and say, hey, that was really shitty. And we can sit and have a discussion and I can apologize for those things because I, I can't know what I don't know. But you don't get to decide if you hurt someone or not. And that was basically the ultimate conclusion I came to was like, wow, you know, no matter what, even if something really bad happened, my mom doesn't get to decide how my experience went down. She doesn't get to write the book on Chloe Taylor. She doesn't, frankly. She might think she can because she was a bystander in my life and gave life to me, but she ultimately does not get to be the expert on Chloe Taylor. I, Chloe Taylor, am the expert on Chloe Taylor. And nobody knows me the way that I know me because nobody's in my head the way that I'm in my head. And because of that, I realized like, oh, her truth can be true, but so can mine. And why have I been giving all of this power to her truth over mine for literally all of my life? She had conditioned me so well to put her truth over my own. And I think this is honestly guilt of a lot of parents. I don't think they intend to do it. It sometimes happens accidentally, but that was something I had to break away from is that regardless of what the intention was, everybody's ex like, you could literally have the same experience. Like, okay, for example, I grew up with six siblings. Okay. Every single one of us could have witnessed my parents arguing and every single one of us will have a different memory, meaning every single one of us internalizes that differently. Every single one of us has a different opinion about it. Every single one of us holds onto it or possibly is able to disengage from it in a completely different way because we are all multifaceted. We all have different experiences. Maybe that day that, you know, this is like a made up scenario, but maybe that day, one of my siblings 
heard about another parent's friend, friend's parents arguing. And to them, this was just a normal occurrence. But for a younger sibling, maybe they'd never witnessed this before in such a big way. And so it traumatized the hell out of them. And it was something that stuck with them. This is what I mean when I say like, all truths are true, <laughs> is that based on your identity, your experiences, what you've been through, you will have a different opinion about how something went down, a different memory, a different body sensation. And this is what makes us all such complex human beings. But when it comes to not people pleasing and putting yourself out there and doing what you feel called to, I feel like I'm giving an extreme example today because talking about your narcissistic mom is hard. It's hard. Of course, I don't want her to listen to my podcast, but there's always the off chance that she will. And I have to be ready to handle those consequences, which honestly, they're not very big for me. It might ruin our relationship even more, but we already don't really have a very great relationship. So there's not really much to me. There's not really much to lose. Like I, I know that might sound really harsh and really mean, but that's really how I feel. There really isn't much to lose. I really stand to lose nothing. I feel like my mother already doesn't respect me. So I don't stand to lose any respect. Like that's kind of my other thing is you you have to look at what it is that makes you people please and you have to deconstruct that. So for me, I would people please. I would sit and try to protect my mom's identity. I would try to protect her story. I would make up all these excuses as to why she acted a certain way because she taught me to do that. And when I finally started working on myself and reconstructing my own story, taking my story back and not letting her be the owner of it, that was really when I stopped people pleasing, showed up more vulnerably and decided that it was okay to be myself. Honestly, if you want to get technical, and I think I've said this in previous episodes as well, I really owe a lot to my relationship with my mother. I think that I am the way that I am. And it's terrible because I feel like I had to go through so much pain in order to get here that was unnecessary. But I really owe a lot to that relationship because without her being my literal biggest bully, I genuinely don't think I would have come out the way that I have. I wouldn't have insisted on self-development work. I wouldn't have insisted on therapy. I wouldn't have insisted on healing from traumatizing events. And because of that, I feel like that actually gives me an advantage in my life. It gives me like, no, nobody wants to be traumatized, but because I have chosen the healer's path and the cycle breaker path for myself, it gives me an advantage in my life that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So I feel like it actually, in some weird way, it's not weird, actually. It's not weird at all. It makes total sense that I would choose to go in the complete opposite direction. I would choose to go full throttle into authenticity because it was something that was so, it was just, they tried to like basically dim it completely out of me. And I, I honestly lived in like a very black and white world up until I hit my early twenties, maybe my late teens and it was like color got turned all the way the fuck on while I worked through my 20s. And honestly, even into my early 30s, I feel like I'm still exploring and learning new things about myself and sharing new things and, you know, becoming more and more and more vulnerable and being okay being vulnerable. Because as I've stated multiple times, to me, not being a people pleaser means that you have to be comfortable being vulnerable. And it's hard. It's hard when you're the one that 
is in the middle of the, the arena and people are throwing the banana peels and the tomatoes at you. But what you have to remember is that the people in the sidelines throwing the fruit, they have their own shit. They have their own shit. They have their own truth. They have their own way of thinking and doing and believing. And it's okay for you to have your own truth and how things go down. You don't need to explain it to anybody else. You don't need to decide that. I feel like that's something that I also didn't really say is like when your personal identity and personal story becomes yours and it becomes the thing that you like when you just become more yourself, really, you don't feel the need to people please anymore because you have such a deep love and satisfaction with yourself. And again, this doesn't mean that there won't be road bumps. This doesn't mean that there won't be moments where you feel inferior. This doesn't mean there aren't going to be moments where you're going to have to have conflict with somebody else and sift through that and do your best to hold your boundary and have a conversation without people pleasing. You're going to have to return to deciding how you're going to act multiple times before it becomes so natural to you. If you have always been a people pleaser. So I also want to say, just remember that this is something that takes time. Like you're not going to wake up tomorrow and just not be a people pleaser. Frankly, I'm so sorry, but it really doesn't work like that. I mean, I think you can make active strides. You can say, Hey, this is how I'm going to deal with this person in this situation moving forward. It doesn't mean it won't be a little bit of hard work. It doesn't mean that you won't be anxious in the moment. It doesn't mean that you won't want, it doesn't mean that everything in you may not want to people please, but you always have a choice. You always have a choice. You can always make a new choice. And it just takes time. It takes time. It takes effort. And even today, Chloe Taylor, who has been in the online industry, putting herself out there for more than 10 years, I don't necessarily deal with people pleasing online, but I do deal with a lot of vulnerability shame where I feel like I've said too much and maybe I shouldn't share whatever it is. So I sometimes will deal with like vulnerability shame and I have to sit with that. I have to sit with that and decide like sometimes I might even re look at my posts or re listen to my podcast after they've already aired just to like quell my anxieties and be like, no, Chloe, like you said what you needed to say and that's okay. So it's a practice. You have to decide to show up as somebody who doesn't people please. And it doesn't even have to be malicious. I think when it comes to my mom, depending on the setting we're in and what's going on, I think that there has been so much mistreatment that sometimes I, I turn to anger when I feel slighted by her. And I have to be careful with that because I don't think anger, anger is productive because it does show you where you feel like you have been mishandled and mistreated. And it's normal to feel anger. It's normal to have conflict, which is something I've really had to learn. But I also think that anger, when both of you show up in anger, you can't meet each other with vulnerability. And this goes the same with like an audience. If you're sharing things vulnerably online if you're just angry at any little judgment or criticism that comes your way, 
you're not going to be able to actually take the constructive criticism. You're only going to hear the criticism and then want to people please or change every little thing about yourself or get angry. Those are like the two extremes, right? So I also feel like it's really important that you, you really feel, I really feel like you can use this opportunity to create a deeper relationship with yourself. If you use your podcast, your social medias as the tool, as the learning place of, Hey, this is the space where I don't people please. This is the space where I will refuse. And even if it feels uncomfortable, and even if I have to be vulnerable, I will be uncomfortable and I will be vulnerable because this is something that I really want to change for myself. And I promise you that you can, you absolutely can. This is something that you do not have to live with. And I think we're going to leave it there. I hope you enjoyed this like long ass ramble on people pleasing and my relationship with my toxic mom (laughs) and uh, also just playing a little bit of catch up. But thank you so much for tuning in this week. I love you so much. Please don't forget to leave a comment or a review. Those really help our podcast get seen. Our goal for this year is to reach a million downloads, a million listens. Uh, Really a million listens would be amazing, but I feel like I have no way of tracking that. It's like a million downloads would just be the ideal situation. So we're trying to reach a million downloads. I think we're almost to three, 300 K listens. So share it with somebody. If you feel like they would like to hear it. Uh, if this was a helpful episode, if you know a fellow people pleaser and you feel like they needed this episode, I would really appreciate you sending it out to somebody, uh, and also leaving it a review. If you haven't done so truly, those really, really, really help us to reach more people. And, uh, please do not forget when you stand on your own authenticity, you empower everyone around you to do the same. And I will talk to you next Monday. Bye. the sun